Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are risen from the grave. You've defeated death, and in your name we have life. In your name we have hope, we have joy, we have all that we need. And God, we get to celebrate this Easter Sunday, the risen King, the Lord of Lords. And God, I pray that this morning your spirit might move amongst us, that we might know your grace and your love and your power. God, that we might hear your voice speak to our hearts this morning. God, for those that have lost hope or have no hope, God, I pray that this morning there might be an injection of your hope, of your spirit at at work in their life. God, that you might use these next few moments to glorify yourself and to to help people see you, the risen King, the resurrected King. God, we love you. We're in awe of you this morning. And we praise your powerful name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Grab a seat. Happy Easter. It's great to be here with you this morning. And if it's your first time with us, uh, like Pastor Lauren said, a huge welcome to you. We're so glad you're with us. If you're watching online, we've got our people online as well. A uh, huge welcome to you too. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Sale Baptist Church. And it's a special Sunday. It's sort of like our biggest Sunday of the year. Like the AFL have their grand final. This is, it's bigger than Christmas for us. It's, this is what it's all about, um, is Jesus on the cross and being raised to life and us celebrating that um, and, and what that means for our life. And so I hope that uh, it's a celebration for you as well. Of course, it's not Easter without chocolate. I don't know if that was around in the disciples' day, if, they had a, if that's why they're at the tomb, if they were hunting for eggs. And then they stumbled across an empty tomb and thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Not eggs, but something better. Um, and so we're going to look at that story this morning of the uh, what it was like to, to come across that empty tomb and, and what happened. So if, if you've got your Bibles, um, you can open them up or turn your phones on your device and look at John chapter 20. Uh, otherwise, I think it'll be on the screen um, if you prefer to not do anything. We'll make it easy for you. John chapter 20. Okay, here we go. Uh, I'm going to read from 1 to 18 says this, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to summon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Just a side note, every time that uh, someone is described like that in John's gospel, it's John himself, he's describing himself. Um, It's a little bit humorous, um, but anyway, just take that, he never mentions his own name in his gospel, but he talks about attributes of himself, and said to them, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. They're teenage boys at this point. (laughs) You can just imagine. First one, last one, there's a rotten egg. Maybe that's, no. Okay, got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came and he entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who reached the tomb first, the winner, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, and the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary 
stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laying, and one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. God, we thank you for your word and God, we thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for the resurrected King. And God, I pray that just as we look at this story in a little bit more detail, God, that you might... Bring it to life for us. Show us what it's really about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, much younger, I always told people I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, I told my parents that, I think. I told my teachers maybe, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Astronaut. Thought it'd be cool, travelling to space. I do wonder whether my teachers, my parents, those I told uh, around me ever thought, I wonder if he will be an astronaut. Um, or if they just put it down to like, yeah, you can be anything you'd like, mate. You know how we tell kids. Oh, you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want. Uh, but in the back of our mind, like, not much hope that that would actually eventuate. Or maybe as adults, you know, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get ripped. I'm going to get really strong and look really good. I know as in my adult years, I've said a lot up until I was about 30, I'm going to get a motorbike and get my motorbike license when I'm 30. I know I'm not, I don't look 30 yet, but I have just ticked over that a few years ago. Um, and no motorbike to be seen. Sometimes people make claims or big statements that everyone who hears that thinks, yeah, right, mate. Good on you. Keep, that's, a good, that's a nice dream. But there's no real expectation that that would ever eventuate. Jesus, throughout his ministry, consistently said to those around him, I will die, but then on the third day, I'll be raised to life. I'm going to die, but then on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. So much so, if you look in Matthew 27, it says, the next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive. He said, after three days, I'll rise again. I mean, the word had spread everywhere. Everyone was uh, aware of this claim by Jesus. That he was, he didn't just whisper it to one person and just say, you know what? I'm going to surprise after I die on the cross. I'm going to come back. No, he just said it to everybody. But there was just a general uh, feeling that this guy's a bit weird. It's not going to happen. It would be like if someone came around today and said, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. We would have the same thoughts as the disciples and the Jews and the Pharisees and the scribes and think, okay, good luck with that. 
Uh, I don't want to try it out. You know, you only get one shot at that. Uh, but just to be safe, the Pharisees and the scribes did order guards to guard the tomb. Not because they were worried that Jesus was going to come out, but they were worried that disciples might go in, take his body to say, ha-ha, he's alive. Where is he? We don't know. Uh, but he's alive because he's obviously not there. Uh, so they put guards there at the tomb. So no one could steal the body. They had some expectation that something might happen, not that he would have come alive, but that someone might come and make it look like he was alive. So Mary Magdalene, who we just read about in this story, comes to the tomb on which day? The third day. And what does she do? She sees the empty tomb and she goes, oh, someone's taken him. After this whole time of Jesus going through his life saying, I'm going to be raised to life, there was zero expectation that he would actually do that. Even from Mary Magdalene, even from the disciples. It was so unexpected. She came, the tomb is empty, and you might think when you get to the tomb, ah, it's the third day. I remember Jesus saying something about this. Maybe it's true. Maybe what he said is real. But no, no no assumption like that was made. Mary assumed someone's moved the body or taken the body, even though the guards are there. And if you read, uh, I think it's Matthew's account of the resurrection, the guards are there and they see the angels and they faint. Uh, So you can put all the stories together and, and see that there's something strange going on here. She has a belief like those who killed Jesus, uh, but have apparently forgotten altogether about Jesus' claim to life, that this was just a, a good teacher, a good guy, an inspiring teacher, someone who changed even her life. And you can look at Luke 8 and see the change in Mary Magdalene's life through Jesus' ministry. I wonder when you come to Easter Sunday, when you come to think about Jesus and faith, what is your expectation? What do you think he's really like? What do you think faith or the, the risen king is really like? When you, come to Easter, when, when you come to Easter, when you come to church, maybe when you open the Bible, when you pray, what is your expectation that this is just some dead ritual, religious activity? It makes me feel a little bit better, but I don't really have any expectation that there is a personal living God who's interested in my life. Maybe your expectation is a little bit like Mary Magdalene, Peter and John, to find a dead, lifeless Jesus who can't do anything. Maybe to find some good people, maybe to find a little bit of meaning or purpose, but at the end of the day, nothing miraculous or life-changing. Would you imagine that um, you get a letter in the mail one day and this letter is from uh, a law firm. It's got official letterhead, um, very well put together, you know, it looks, looks legit. And it says, dear, whatever your name is, um, you may not be aware of this, but you have a relative uh, who you don't know who's passed away and left you millions of dollars. What would be your initial reaction? If it was me, I'd be like, huh. I mean, I, tr- I got, you know, I've got the, that sorty prince or whatever it is that keeps trying to send me money. Uh, maybe it's that. maybe I'm related to him. Um, you know, you got those text messages. You know, so and so has got millions of dollars, or you get emails saying, 
oh, this is millions of dollars. But it came in the mailbox and it's on an official letterhead. I reckon even though you might think this is a scam, this is not real, I don't know that relative, I surely would, especially if they were rich. Um, everyone would know about the rich relative. But even still, if you were me, if you're like me, if you were me, please don't be me, if you're like me, you might sceptically inquire. You might pick up the phone and go, what's this about? You might not pass them any details, uh, any bank details or anything like that. But I reckon you would at least Google the law firm or Google the name of the person, wouldn't you? I mean, it's millions of dollars. It's a big, it's a big deal. Surely if the claims of Jesus and Scripture uh, have are what they are, surely they at least deserve some sort of sceptical inquiry of like, is this true? Because if it is, it changes everything. If it is, it changes everything. It demands so much of me. Not only is there heaven, but there's so much that it demands. I want to quickly look at, there's, in this passage that we read, John and Peter, when they arrive at the tomb, it says they saw three times. They see, you know that um, a sailor went to see, 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 and there's lots of different seas. There's lots of different seas in this passage as well. The word saw is in there three times, but it's three different words. And I want you to see this in John 20 verse 5, when John, the one who, got there, the one who won the race, you know, beat Peter, he got there, he stooped down and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. And that word saw is sort of like, just look. You ever see something interesting and think, oh, that's a bit weird, but just keep on walking. Because you know that if you investigate, if you look any further into it, it might, I don't know, cause you some more work. This, um, this last week, uh, out the front of our house, a bike appeared on the nature strip. And at first I drove past and drove in the driveway and I, I saw it and I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. And then I, um, I didn't think much of it and so I just went inside. I, I just didn't want it to interrupt my life so I, I just went inside. At first glance, it's a bit strange but not much thought to it. And this was the initial reaction of John. Hmm, that's a bit strange but I'm not going in to investigate that. When you hear about the Easter story, when you hear about claims in the Bible, is that your reaction, just like, oh, that's a bit strange, that's a bit interesting, but I'm happy just to hear about it, not really think about it, I'm not going to investigate it, I'll stand a safe distance away, where the impact and demand on my life is minimal, or zero. And then what happens? Peter, huffing and puffing, and it's like, oh, in typical Peter fashion, if you know anything about Peter, he just like runs right by John, straight into the tomb, without any thought. And what's it say in John 20, verse 6, the next verse? It says, Then following him, Simon Peter also came, and he entered the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. Peter saw John looking in from the outside, and once he caught up, go straight into the open tomb. And this word, saw, is this word, theoreo, which we get this word, theorize, to theorize. And it really means to investigate, to look into to pay attention, to give thought to. When the bike turned up on my nature strip and I 
first just went inside, curiosity got the better of me and I went out and had a look at this bike and I noticed that the chain had been come off, that the pedal had a big chunk of mud and grass in it and I was beginning to understand that maybe someone had fallen off this bike and crashed it and the chain had come off, maybe the chain came off and that's what caused them to crash. I don't know, sure, maybe I could go on um, CSI, something like that, and find out. <coughs> and so, there is something going on here, I thought. What is it? There's something going on and I begin to look more into it. And this is what Peter does. He goes in, he sees something and he goes in and that word sore is he's looking and thinking about what he is seeing. He's thinking about what he's seeing because if someone had stolen the body, if grave robbers had come and stolen the body, they would not leave the linen cloths lying there. They would take the whole thing, the things of value, the things that would keep the body from being really stinky and gross they would not unwrap and take a naked, half-decayed body. Like, that would be revolting. They would keep it wrapped up. If, the, if some of the other disciples had come and tried to take Jesus away, they too would not have dishonoured the body like that. They would have kept Jesus' naked body wrapped up. And so Peter is thinking, like, what could have happened here? What is happening? It's strange what is going on? He's thinking about what he's seeing. It's, it's not mindless faith. Our faith in Jesus isn't just because we decide to believe and leave our minds and critical thinking at the door. So many people would like to think that Christianity is just people who believe in fairy tales. They don't think. They don't have any ability to critically think about anything. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, Christian faith is more than reasoning and thinking, but it's not less. It's more than reasoning and thinking, but it's not less. We are called in the Gospels to love, love God with all our mind, soul, and strength. We're called to engage our mind, and that's what Peter is doing in this instance. He's using his mind, he's thinking about what is going on here. And I want to encourage you that there is so much evidence for the resurrection so much historical evidence, circumstantial evidence, biblical evidence, that you can look at and investigate and really look into see if it was true. And one of the biggest bits of evidence is right here in this story, and it's the story of Mary. Mary becomes the first witness of the resurrected king. Jesus reveals her, himself to Mary first. There was an early critic of uh, Christianity in the second century, a philosopher by the name of Celsus, and he said this about tearing Christianity apart. This was his biggest, probably, uh, problem with believing the claims of Christianity. And we find, I mean, what I'm about to read, you'll find that this offensive and just like, why, how could you think like that? But this was a thinking in the second century. After the death, um, Jesus rose again and showed the marks of his punishment and how his hands had been pierced. But who saw this? A hysterical female as you say, or perhaps some other of those who were deluded by the same sorcery. You see, the, the problem with the first and second century, in the early time of a woman becoming the first witness, was that nobody believed the testimony of a woman. It was a misogynistic society, and people didn't hold any weight behind what a woman would say. They weren't allowed in a, a court of law to give evidence. 
And so, early on, this was the, the biggest problem with Christianity, is that women were the, across all four gospel accounts, women were the first to see the resurrection of Christ. But today, this is the biggest strength. It's because if someone was making this story up, if someone was inventing this lie that Jesus had been raised to life in the first century, I mean, this would be as clear as day that you would get the disciples to be the first ones to see. You would get the guys, the men, to be the first ones to see because that would hold more weight with the, with the world around them. Even the disciples were sceptic, sceptical of the woman's testimony to begin with. In Luke 24, you read this account. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them were telling the, the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Even the disciples who first heard the testimony that they, the women had seen Jesus alive, they were like, no, that's not right. Even Mary herself wasn't quick to believe that Jesus was raised to the life. She goes into the empty tomb and she thinks someone's stolen the body. She sees Jesus and she thinks, oh, that's the gardener. She's not even thinking this could be true. And so even she needs evidence before she begins to tell other people about it. She was very much, and the disciples were very much like us today. If someone had said, you know what, I saw this person die three days ago and then they've come back to life, our initial thought would be, no, you didn't. Maybe they had a twin, maybe like something else has gone on, maybe um, you're delusional. I'm not sure what's going on, but that can't be right. That can't be true. They were, they were no different to thinking that way in the first century. In fact, there were like um, messianic pretenders, people who pretended to be the Messiah, and every one of them was killed by the Romans because they just, they didn't want that. And none of them came back to life. And then, so when Jesus was killed, they had this assumption that he's, well, he mustn't have been the Messiah because he didn't overthrow the Roman government, he didn't rise to the top like we thought he might. Uh, some of the Jews might have believed in a resurrection, but it was way down, like in the afterlife, no one thought he would actually come back to life in their lifetime. And so it wasn't until they saw the evidence, Jesus himself speaking, they're able to believe. 1 Corinthians 15, you can see that um, Paul writes, 20 years after Jesus has been risen to life, that more than 500 people had seen Jesus at one time, many of them were still alive. Like, there was evidence in that first century that Jesus had been raised to life and so many people had seen him and you could go and talk to these people about it. And not only did they believe it, but their lives were radically changed because of it. And you could look into that piece of evidence for yourself and see the, the changed lives as a result of seeing Jesus. And then the third time some John, um, it talks about John seeing, is in John 20 verse 8. It says the other disciple who reached the term first, just as a reminder, track and field champion, then also went in and saw and believed. And this word saw means believed, it was like understands. You know, when you see something, you say, oh, I see now. Like I saw it before, now I understand. Want, want to know what happened to the bike? I don't know. 
bike was there, saw, investigated, stayed there. Two days later, I call the police and say, oh, this looks a bit strange to me. Maybe someone's stolen a bike and dumped it. Um, I said, oh, yeah, no worries, we'll get someone to come pick it up. No one, no one came. Next day, uh, my neighbour sees someone come and pick it up, take it away. It wasn't the police, someone else. Um, presumably the owner comes past and picks it up. And it's still a bit of a mystery. We don't really understand. So at this point, this illustration falls flat a little bit here. But John the disciple, <laughs> just checking he's still listening, sees and he understands, he believes. This, it's, he's risen. And this is the scale, if you like, or the, the spectrum of, of seeing, is that you can look at this story and think, oh, interesting. You can look at this story and go, this demands some of my attention. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to think about this. And then once you get to that point, you've got to make a step or a leap of faith, if you like. It's one see, thing to see and walk away. It's another thing to see and investigate. But you can't be stuck there. Because as I said before, faith is more than reasoning. It's not less, but it's definitely more than reasoning and thinking. You can't just say, I'll believe it when I see it. There's an element of faith that says, I'll see it when I believe it. Faith is the gateway to life, to joy, to hope, and to the promises that Jesus offers. It requires a leap. Otherwise, it's not faith, is it? It's something less than that. Finally, Jesus doesn't come from on high in some impersonal way in this story. He's just, it seems, it appears, just loitering in the background watching this commotion go on. Maybe weeding the garden or something. He's just there watching and then he sees Mary crying and he is so tender with her, so personal with her. Why are you crying? What's, who are you looking for? He doesn't come like Superman might and put on a big show. And we'd like that, I think. We'd like, oh, it would have been good if Jesus came down like on a cloud of fire or something and just, whew, I don't know, did something really cool. But he doesn't. And he, the ministry of Jesus is, I mean, it's consistently like this, is that he is personal and merciful. He reveals himself to Mary in a personal way just by saying her name. By identifying her, she instantly recognises this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Mary is a woman, someone who'd had demons cast out of her, probably rejected by a lot of society. One commentator said a reformed mental patient. The last person you'd think that Jesus might reveal to first. But of course, it's who the world says is the least that Jesus gives mercy to. The widow, the lame, the poor, the orphan, the marginalised, the forgotten. These are the people that Jesus comes to, that Jesus bestows his mercy on. You know what? Jesus is not looking for an elite version of you. He's just looking for you. Just as you are. Just as you are. You can't fix your life up to the standard that Jesus requires. And that is the whole point of Easter that he comes to you in a personal and merciful way to extend grace to you, to say, hey, you don't measure up, but I did for you, and look, I've defeated your sin. 
have life, have life in me. The whole point of Easter is not that you would try to be a better person, but that you'd recognise that you don't measure up and that Jesus is perfection in your place. He gives you mercy. His love drives him to action. His desire is not rule following, but relationship. As the team comes up, we're going to sing one last song. And I just want to ask you this. What do you expect from Jesus? Have you just seen from a distance and never investigated? Maybe you've looked into it, but you've never put your faith in him. I want to encourage you this morning, this Easter, that Jesus is our hope. He is our life. He changes our life. He forgives our sins. I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray. I don't know where your faith is at this morning, but I think Easter Sunday is the perfect time just to ask that question. What do I think about Jesus? What is my faith ultimately in? And if this morning you'd like to say, you know what, I've thought about it long and hard and I want to put my faith in Jesus. Today is the perfect day to do that. Anyone who says, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Savior and they believe in their heart, says in Romans, they will be saved. There's no special requirement for you to become a Christian for you to put your faith in Jesus. You've got to believe in your faith and you've got to speak it out. And so I encourage you during this song, if that's what you want to do, do that. Pray your own words. Say, God, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I trust you. Or maybe you've wandered away from your faith. Maybe you believed when you were a kid or you're an early version of yourself. Today is the perfect time to come and say, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you again. God, we thank you this morning that your spirit is at work, that you are alive, that you have conquered sin, you've conquered death, you've forgiven every one of our sins, past, present, and future. Nothing is too hard for you. God, you're not looking for an elite version of ourselves. You're just looking for us, just like you looked for Mary at the tomb, who yet was yet to believe. God, you find us where we are, and you give us everything we need. God, I pray for the people this morning that want to put their faith in you for the first time or, or rekindle that faith in you. And God, I pray your spirit might help them to, to take that leap this morning, to trust you. God, we thank you that our sins are forgiven, that you are, our life is secure in you. We honor you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.